This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, The Culture of Vengeance and the Fate of American Justice, our guest today, Terry J. Elagem, proposes that America is driven by a reactive public anger that is a threat to democratic justice itself. From the return of the death penalty to the war on terror, Americans demand retribution and moral certainty. They assert the rights of victims and make pronouncements against evil. Yet for Elagem, this authoritarian turn has its origins in the traditions of liberal justice itself. Lajim is a lecturer on social studies at Harvard University and an associate director at Harvard's Derek Bach Center for Teaching and Learning. Terry J. Lajim, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Well, now, now, you're in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Is, is global warming hitting there right now, or are you under <laughs> right flood waters? Minute, it's a little bit clammy. Ah, uh, I don't know if that's a result of global warming. <laughs> well, I, I can't say either, but it's it's something I like to say for mm-hmm. joking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now uh, in your book, you, you argue that justice has been redefined in America as something more vengeful uh, than, uh, than our liberal tradition would lead us to expect. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, indeed. We, the liberal tradition uh, suggests that we have a rational system of justice. We, of course, have the rule of law and so forth. And I think that in America, as I observe it, the, there's a tremendous frustration with, uh, with that tradition and with the courts and with the law itself. Uh, and that uh, emerges in all sorts of ways, makes itself known, uh, particularly uh, on television and in other media uh, and also, I think there's a kind of feedback loop between the representations of justice and our frustration with it in those media and uh, the law itself. Well, how would you then define justice as it's portrayed in America? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Maybe uh, a few years ago, if you stopped an American on the street and said, what is justice, you might get an answer like, you know, the rule of law, the right to a fair and public trial, uh, even maybe civil rights. Uh, I think those days are gone. I think you're, mu- you're much more likely to, to get an answer like an eye for an eye. Hmm. Is that, now, the, the, your initial description, is that what you would call the liberal tradition? I'm going to get to some definitions here. Yeah. Let's define what a, you would consider to be the liberal tradition of America in this yeah, regard. That- that's the liberal constitutional tradition, which both has roots in democratic theory and people like John Locke and in England, and uh, of course, uh, uh, our founding fathers were all reading that, and that's what gave birth to our constitutional tradition. So, so going back to, let's say, the Magna Carta, if you will, is that the, the, the roots of what we would think of as, as a liberal tradition? Traditionally, yes. Oh, okay. Now, are, are, does this not bode well, I would say, for America, that that uh, we have twisted uh, justice to mean much more vengeance than to mean a uh, an evening of things. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a, uh, there's a... I mean, the problem has always been with us, and it certainly um, 
present for every culture. Um, people face and experience injury, uh, and they react in various ways, and one of those reactions has always been vengeful. Um, so societies need to cope with this. In the liberal tradition, I argue in the book that we've kind of swept it under the rug, um, that we assert that our justice is rational, uh, and that that has backfired uh, over time and particularly in the last 20 or 30 years in the United States. Now, when you talk about this, are we talking about um, a tradition that was developed uh, going back into the 18th century where at one time the American judicial system, uh, our, our, our prison systems were considered models and very forward-thinking in, in, uh, compared to the rest of the world? I know that Tocqueville would talked about uh, our, our prisons being... Uh, you know, Rehabilitation was much more of a of a factor when when people were imprisoned. Uh, are we talking about rehabilitation as opposed to punishment? What what what's the context of when we're talking about your what you're saying? Vengeance. Mm, yes, the, historically we've uh, the pendulum has swung between periods of more retributive punishment, and of course this varies across the states, and periods um, uh, in which there's more interest in reform and rehabilitation. And uh, uh, the pendulum in, in now, I think, has swung much more toward retributive punishment. In Massachusetts, for example, some years ago, um, really before the Dukakis campaign, we had um, uh, some very progressive uh, policies and procedures in Massachusetts that were actually quite effective and were uh, part of a, of a rehabilitative swing. And now I think we've gone the other way. Some of the evidence is the number of people we now have in prison and California, it's, it's uh, uh, over 170,000, I think, and across the nation, 2.3 million. Yeah, this is something I know uh, some a little bit about, having worked on some um, judicial reform uh, issues here in the state. And I, we are, California has over, as you just said, 170,000 people. We uh, imprison people here in California at the highest rate of any state in the country, and we're among the highest in terms of incarceration rates in the world. We have now California by itself has the third largest criminal population in the world behind only uh, China and the, the rest of the United States. So we and we have a number of laws, mandatory sentencing, I, I would assume is part of what you're talking about. Yes, it is indeed. The uh, mandatory sentencing or, or three-strike laws are a perfect example yeah. of the phenomenon that I'm talking about. Um, you know, this was enacted in California under Proposition 184, and uh, with something like 72, 72%, I think, of the population supporting it, and uh, California has been um, very interested in harsh punishment, which is why the prisons are full. Over a 1,000 laws, I understand, in the last 30 years enacted um, that affect that um, prison rate. So, um, uh, yes, but the case of uh, three strikes laws is, is striking. Uh, that's part, part of what's filling up the prisons. It's also um, uh, part of redefining, I think, uh, uh, three-time offenders as a sort of irredeemable evil people, um, and that uh, has, it takes its toll. Well, um, just as an aside, there was an, uh, a Proposition 66 a couple of years ago to amend the law so that the third strike need, had to be a felony or a serious serious felony or a violent felony. And it was when well, we were on the verge of winning that battle, except that in the last week, uh, a millionaire here from Orange County spent about $10 million, and we lost by two points. So yeah. there are people that are moving, I guess what I'm trying to say, the long way of saying people are beginning to recognize this. And when it gets to another question I have um, for you, which is the, this pendulum, I think you, you, you alluded to earlier, how the pendulum is, swing, is swung towards vengeance. 
I've always been curious in the in the in the eyes of experts. Uh, rehabilitation is something that we've talked about for for many for a long time, but it's never been clear to me how long the pendulum swung in the direction of rehabilitation. Uh, it seemed to be a very short lived mm. a time. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. And now we seem to have swung back in the other direction. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And those efforts have been, those sort of more um, um, rehabilitative efforts have been short-lived uh, in spite of their effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, usually every you, every study I've read suggests that uh, uh, carefully handled reintegration programs, for example, for, for uh, inmates coming back into the rest of the world, um, that those are tremendously effective and much more effective than the old, here's $50 in a suit. Um, and good luck out there. So, um, yeah, uh, if you look at the numbers, those policies work, uh, but they don't satisfy the public anger that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Terry J- K. Aladjum. Uh, the book is The Culture of Vengeance and the Fate of American Justice. And you mentioned the media earlier. How much do you think the media plays in, in building up this uh, vengeful side of, of justice? Do, are they one of the prime culprits here? Tremendous. I think that's the core of the phenomenon I'm talking about. People turn away from the courts and justice where they don't get satisfied, uh, the satisfaction that they, they want, and, they, and, and watch it on television, and they watch it in a particular way, and the script has been written for them, I think, by the political right. Uh, cops get the bad guy. Uh, they, uh, people invariably scoff the Miranda Law, um, by which people should be read their rights. Um, the villains exposed and humiliated. This sort of thing goes on over and over again, and it's maybe more subtle on shows like Law and Order. Um, there are reality shows like Cops, where the humiliation of the uh, offender is is the central part of the entertainment. And then there's really egregious ones like To Catch a Predator, which is aired on uh, NBC, where uh, pedophiles are lured uh, to a location and uh, humiliated on camera. You have to wonder what the motivation is behind all that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it is it is something um uh commercial time, I guess. I I can't imagine anything else. I I I assume that that's what it is. I I think enough people are watching this uh and and in some way that that not only uh, not only reflects poorly on media but on the people who are the watching the programs. Do we take any responsibility in this? We do, and I think it's we have to be careful not to cast them all the same way. I mean, people watch these things and, and understandably uh, feel some uh, some some positive moral uh, effect of having caught a, a villain and, and put away a bad guy and made the streets safer. And that's not not something trivial. Um, but at the same time, when when it's watched for entertainment or when um, the reaction is, uh, you know, oh, great, we got the guy and the courts don't do it, then I think you have to watch out. It's sort of, this is compensatory and reactive justice, uh, and it's really more of the sort of vengefulness that I'm talking about. Is there something about the American character that's different than the rest of the world? In other words, if we had cops and law and order playing in India, you know, uh, 18 hours a day on our on our major networks and or some other some other part of Europe or something like that. Is there something about the American character that gravitates to vengeance, even as you described earlier, the uh, rehabilitative programs tend to work and tend to keep people out of prison? What is it about? Is there something unique about us? 
I think there is. I, I think you say American character. I, I wouldn't say that Americans are more vengeful in their hearts, if there's such a way of putting it, um, than other people with vengeance everywhere. But we, we, I think, have a kind of frustration behind it, a kind of anger and grief that uh, simmers under the surface in this culture um, uh, and that's not being satisfied and that finds its way uh, into all sorts of public expression in ways that I don't see elsewhere in the world. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people and, and aspects of culture in European countries, for example, uh, that are, uh, have moments like this, but um, uh, uh, ours, I think, is unique in its scope. Is, and you, you did just describe something. You, you said the political right seems to, I think, feed on this and, and perpetuate these things. Uh, is, is this really about the politics of fear? Is it because Americans feel um, a bit... Um, disconnected or unable to affect a uh, political change, and that this is one way it manifests itself in this in this idea of vengeance. Ah, yes, I, do. I think that's exactly right. Um, the political right has been very quick to pounce on this. The, the example is the I, I think the best example is the the victims movement. Now. Again, one has to be very careful. People have suffered egregious wrong, right. and uh, understandably, they seek redress in the courts. But uh, the right political uh, politicians on the right have been very quick to try to capitalize on that. And the difference, I think, is between genuine concern for the victims and a kind of cult of the victim um, that gets you elected, and uh, particularly prosecutors when they're elected, who are uh, who are. Um, Boasting of uh, high conviction rates are playing on this, um, but it's uh, uh, offices all through the system. And you find now that presidential candidates, too, are never successful unless they, for example, support the death penalty and have, uh, are able to muster tough talk against crime and use the word evil uh, in the way that our current president so, um, so trippingly does. Yeah. It does. It, there, you just alluded also to something else, which I have been fascinated with over, over uh, quite a long period of time, and that is the effect of this sort of law and order mentality um, at the very, very bottom of our electoral system running all the way to the top. Uh, I know from my own experience that if you're running for a city council seat or a mayor's position or something like that, it is almost impossible to get elected unless you get the police and fire endorsement. And that then begins, to me, that begins this sort of feeder system that law and order and law enforcement, as opposed to programs that may prevent people from getting into, into criminal behavior, becomes the priority, that, that this punishment mentality begins to permeate every single aspect of our political life from the very bottom to the very top. Indeed, I think that's correct, and I think it's uh, it's a shame because it leads to a rush to judgment. It leads to uh, police officers, unfortunately, emulating what they see on television, imagining that it is their job to punish, um, and uh, and to um, public officials at every level, as you say, having to um, to to talk tough on crime. Not this is not to say that we shouldn't be tough on crime. It's just to say that tough talk and anger isn't the most effective thing. Well, and there's another component to this. I want to remind our listeners, speaking with uh, Terry K. Alajem, and the book is The Culture of uh, Vengeance and the Fate of American Justice. Um, another part of this is that in this process, oftentimes the courts, the adjudicators, the arbiters of, of, of justice in this country are portrayed as weak-willed or, or fawning over 
uh, the rights of the criminal and bending over backwards to let these people out. They become uh, maybe not the villain, but they become a facilitator of, of violent behavior in this country. And they're looked upon uh, in, in a disrespectfully. Looked yeah, upon. Yes, this is the mantra of the, of the political right. You know, liberal justice le- j- judges let out the cri- criminals. Um, and uh, they don't, actually, if you look at what goes on. Um, but it's easy to, uh, to vilify them for that. And then um, the, there are various efforts to strip judges overall of their discretion. Um, the three strikes laws is one example, but there's also um, uh, there are other kinds of practices and procedures that have been put in place, the so-called truth and sentencing movement, which would um, have uh, offenders punished to the statutory maximum that's on the books uh, without judicial uh, decision-making being part of it. Uh, all of these things are aimed at those uh, judges and aimed at any effort to uh, soften sentences and punishing, but that also means any effort, any ability to judge and uh, be more targeted in, in the way the courts operate. I've been mystified at how the principle of, of taking the adjudicating process out of the hands of judges has, has withstood uh, a court challenge. I do not understand how you can take the very essence of what it is to be a judge and say you are not allowed to make decisions based on individual cases. And that, that's it held judges into a multiple choice tense. Yeah, is. I've never, I've never understood what, what, why a Supreme Court wouldn't strike that down as unconstitutional. Do you? It, it's mystifying. Uh, I, I think this really began, uh, or didn't, it's certainly not the only time it's, uh, it's raised its head, but in the war on drugs and the initial legislation that supported that, which was put together by Tip O'Neill at the time from my state and um, pushed through Congress very quickly, there was, uh, it was a reaction to the death by drugs of a, of a sports figure, and uh, uh, Congress was in recess, and uh, everybody wanted, as one expert has put it, a piece of that legislation, yeah. and it was a rush to judgment. No one looked at the fine print. You're talking about Lynn Bias and uh, the... Yes. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Yes, and, and what happened. Well, I'm, I'm, you're going to have to help me on my legal principle. I, I, when, when, it, when a law is not applied evenly, what, what's the principle called when, it's, when, it's, when you single people out? What's the legal principle I'm trying Bush to... Bush versus Gore. Well, Bush <laughs> No. <laughs> That'll do. No, no. What am I trying to... I can't think of the legal principle, but... Uh, but but, uh, but uh, No, the, my point is, is, is that it, it, taking as California as an example the three strikes law, going back to something I know a little bit about, and that is even within the state of California, DAs prosecuted that case in wildly, completely uh, uh, differing numbers. Uh, we had in three counties, uh, Orange County, Riverside, L.A. County, we, they accounted for something like 70% of all of the three strikes laws in the first four or five years, which was the most egregious uh, part of the uh, application of that law, where the rest of the state, the other 54 counties, accounted for something around 30% mm. of, of, the, of the prosecutions. Uh, and if I could think of that legal principle, I would say it seems like a mis, it, this seems like a, a misinterpretation, uh, uh, of of that principle and uh, it just it, an even application of the law. Yes, right. I I know exactly what you mean. There, there, there's a it, it's a um, and maybe I'll stumble upon the term as well. Um, the um, 
uh, it points to something really uh, disturbing about all this, which is the, is precisely the unevenness with which it's applied to both uh, across the country in different locations and um, and to individuals uh, who are facing the law and, and possible punishment. Um, the equity that one expects from the law is is uh, uh, undercut by these kinds of policies, um, and the. Uh, uh, the kind of deeper principle of what a democracy should be doing when it punishes is undercut as well. And yeah. by that I mean the fact that we, that as a democracy, um, we need laws and punishments that apply equally and fairly to all. Yes. When there are some procedures out there that allow people to be punished more because someone's more angry at them, and sometimes, for example, victim impact statements are used this way, um, then, then the whole fabric becomes, uh, begins to unravel and the very equity at the, at the basis of it um, is in danger. It's called equal protection, and that's what I was trying to. And that does go to Gore v. Uh, yeah. Bush. That was exactly the uh, the principle that they tried to invoke there. But uh, uh, anyway, it, it's just uh, uh, we. How can we? Do, what can we do to well, sort of? Or what, I want to first of all say that that it seems like George Bush might be the embodiment of of a American justice system gone bad. Would you say that I'm often saying that, or am I? No, I, I agree with you. <laughs> okay. I think he's he's run with this uh, rhetoric probably more than any other politician that I'm aware of. Now, there's a uh, dean of Massachusetts School of Law at Andover, the Lawrence Velvo, who's planning a uh, conference to map out the war crime prosecution of George Bush. Are are we being vengeful against George Bush by uh, wanting to bring him to trial? I, uh, first of all, I'm not against all expressions of anger and indignation, uh, and nor do I think they're all necessarily part of this this phenomenon. I think people have a right to be angry about lots of things, and and uh, in a democracy, that's part of the part of the story. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily driven by vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are people who who are part of that effort who who do feel that way. Um, but I think that if there are legal questions to be raised about, uh, raised about the conduct of this administration, they should be raised, and they should be raised in the court. Yeah. All right. And then back to what Mike was saying. No, no, I just wanted to ask you, uh, are, are we going to see, I, I think we're going to see a change in administration and, and maybe a, a, a serious change in philosophy of coming out of the federal government. Do you have any hope that there, there, we're going to begin to see um, some changes, some reforms in to, to, towards a more rehabilitative criminal justice system. I know the economics of this are getting to the point where it's prohibitive for us to continue to lock people up. But do you see something moving in that direction that would give you some hope? Uh, yes, I, I do, and I think actually it's, if, if you look to the international scene, it's a little bit more evident that uh, people are um, horrified, many people are horrified at the way things have been uh, handled in Guantanamo, at the amount of time it's taken the Supreme Court to finally grant people their uh, habeas corpus rights um, to bring their cases in American courts, uh, and uh, Abu Ghraib and uh, forced rendition by the CIA. All of these policies um, are driven by a kind of vengeful anger in the way that I think about them, and I think uh, they are uh, poised to backfire, and I think it's because Americans have uh, finally come to a point where they have to pay and recognize the actual costs of the war, I mean, even in monetary terms, but also in human lives. Do you you see, this is sort of an aside, because you just mentioned the Bush, uh, possibility of Bush being brought up on charges. I brought it up there. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I meant. That's okay, Uh, I concurred. Yeah, 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 you concurred. (laughs) 
<laughs> Your Honor, he concurred. Anyway, uh, I was curious. You think we're going to see a point where um, Donald Rumsfeld or someone like him is arrested uh, in England overseas and brought before uh, an international criminal uh, justice? It's hard to say. I, I think um, uh, most other countries are not going to be eager to look back on this um, or to um, try to uh, pursue those kinds of things. I wouldn't be surprised if Donald Rumsfeld or Dick Cheney was called to testify mm-hmm. um, in some humiliating way and that their uh, past practices were revealed. I would be surprised to see either of them spend do, do prison time. Yeah, I know that there's been some attempts to uh, to perform a citizen's arrest on Rumsfeld. I know some of these people are now a little bit leery about traveling over overseas, and maybe that's as good as it's going to get for this. Yeah, uh, Henry Kissinger, for example, yeah. has been very uh, yeah. leery of, of traveling abroad, yeah, for, yeah. for that sort of reason. I, I don't know, uh, in particular cases, the, there may be some threat because there's been a particular effort mounted, but I don't mm-hmm. see yeah. uh, large uh, interest out there yeah. in, uh, or there's some, certainly there are people interested in using international law to try to... Um, uh, stop some of these policies, but I think our best chance is the election. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. I do know that uh, uh, that this will continue. We will continue to pursue this. Uh, I know that after Pinochet was arrested in England, there's a lot of people who hold, hold out some hope for an international tribunal. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to thank you so much for, for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is The Culture of Vengeance and the Fate of American Justice. Terry K. Allegem, thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Nathan. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.